Song of Solomon chapter 2. Song of Solomon chapter 2. We don't, uh, I don't know, I don't preach out of this very much. But if you've ever read Song of Solomon, much of it at all, it's a, it, it's a very, it's a beautiful book of the Bible. It's probably one of the prettiest books of the Bible that there is. It's, it's, it's about love. I mean, the whole thing, it's just, it's about love and how uh, we are to love. And it's a, it kind of is a comparison between Christ and the church when you read the, this, this entire book. So it's, it's really good. The Song of Solomon, it's a, but it's just a, it's an interesting book. Uh, according to, I thought this was pretty neat. According to Jewish rabbis, Solomon wrote a little over a thousand psalms. To be more specific, it was a thousand and five psalms, according to the rabbis. Um, so I thought that was pretty neat. But this particular book that we're going to be looking at today, at least this, this one little or a few little verses that we're going to look at, it's a story that tells another story. So it's a story in a story. And you have to pick it apart. When you read Song of Solomon, especially if you read it without salvation, it doesn't mean as much to you. But when you read this as a Christian and you start going through this, you can start paralleling us and you can start paralleling Christ with different parts of the Song of Solomon. It's really neat. It's a love story. This whole thing is a love story. It's about a man and his bride. A man... And his bride. A man is Jesus, and the bride is the church. Now, when you read this, I want you to think, and we'll read this in just a second, I want you to put that in perspective. When we read this, think of Jesus is the man, and the bride is the church. I forgot to mention this a while ago. Abby, Abby's not here. She is singing this morning with Marina at Marina's church. She is at Timbered Ridge, so pray for her. She's probably belting one out right now, so pray for them this morning. We have the bridegroom, which is Jesus, comparing himself to this common flower, and we're going to read this here in just a moment, this common flower that is in Israel, and it's an extremely beautiful flower. Now, there are different types of the Rose of Sharon that, that, that people see, and y'all, have y'all ever grown those? Not really. They don't grow well over here. The ones that are in Israel don't grow as well over here because they grow around the Mediterranean. So to understand what the Rose of Sharon, the significance behind the Rose of Sharon, again, we're going to read it in a second, so don't, I don't want to get ahead of you, but I want you to understand what you're going to read. So you have the Mediterranean Sea, and the Mediterranean Sea is a beautiful sea. It's, it's green and blue, and it's just a, it's a gorgeous common sea. It's the first place that we go when we get to Israel, we'll get off the plane out in Tel Aviv, and we get in the bus, and we drive. The first thing we do is we go to Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Maritima, sorry, Caesarea Maritima. And that is Maritima, of course, is maritime, so that means that we're going to be at the sea. So the first thing that you see once you get into Israel on our bus is the Mediterranean, gorgeous thing. And then you see, around the sea, you get to see the sand. And the sand is this gorgeous white sand. So you got blue-green sea, and you got gorgeous white sand. And then when you get past that, you get into this mountain range. It's Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel is this mountain range, and it runs, I can't remember how many miles long it is. But it is gorgeous. And it's some of the highest peaks in Mount Carmel. It's around 1,600, 1,700 feet above sea level. And so when you look at it, you got green, blue, 
sea, white beaches, and you go up and you see these lush green mountains. So as you're looking at these mountains, and you go over these mountains, you're going to go into a valley, and that's called the Sharon Valley or the Sharon Plain. And in the Sharon Plain is where these roses grow. It's the only place that these roses grow, not made by man, not planted by man anyway, just so you know. Man don't plant these, and we'll talk about that later. So we have this gorgeous valley, and it's covered in these beautiful red roses that you can only find in God's country. Some prettiest flowers that you've ever seen. They, don't, they look more like a tulip than a rose, which I think a rose and tulip may be about the same thing. I don't know. I don't grow that stuff. I cut them down. That's what I do. I'm really good at that. I can weed eat one down and nobody, and just like that, I can take her all down. But you have this really pretty flower. And you think, why would Jesus compare himself to this flower? There's flowers all over the place. No matter where you go, there's flowers. There's, there's real flowers. There's fake flowers. There's flowers everywhere. Why would Jesus compare himself to something so simple, so sim- yet so beautiful? And we're going to look at a lot of that stuff. He can, uh, uh, Spurgeon wrote this right here, and I thought it was pretty good. It's, condesc- it's condescending. It's condescending. Condescending. I'll get this out here in a second. He desires... Our love, in wisdom, he uses the best way to win our love. In tenderness, he describes himself by familiarity. Of necessity, he describes himself for who else can. Jesus compares himself to these flowers because we can't compare him to anything else. There's, we have, in our minds, we can't figure out exactly how to compare Jesus to anything else because we don't know anything greater than him. But Jesus takes simple things. And compares himself to the simple things in this life. Need a passy? So that we can relate to him. We have a hard time relating to things at a God level. But yet the way Jesus spoke to his disciples and to others. And the way that he speaks to us today. He, I hate to say it like this, but. He dumbs it down for us a little bit so that we can, com- we, we can comprehend what he's trying to tell us. And so he uses a simple flower. Now you go through the, the Bible and he uses things like the good shepherd, the true vine, the way, the truth, the life, you know, um, bread, light, water. You know, when he, look, when he talks about the bread and the light and the water, those three things are necessities for us to live. We've got to have a little bit of food, we've got to have a little bit of water, and we definitely need a little bit of light to survive. And so he... he he explains to us and to others by comparing himself to these things that are necessary. Bread, light, water, necessary. But then you look at the good shepherd. When you talk about a shepherd, when he, back then it made more sense to them then than it does us now. But being a shepherd was an important role. It was kind of low of the low uh, on the job scale, but it was an important job. So he compared himself to something that they knew, the true vine. When he compared himself to the true vine, they knew a lot about vineyards because of um, the grapes that they grew over there and the way that they made their wine and the way that they done their olives as well and the olive presses, how they made their oils, things like that. So he used things that they could relate to. And so for us, we need to understand the significance behind this rose, this beautiful flower. And we're going to break all that down here in just a moment uh, and, and look at what all this means. 
These roses that the Lord compares himself to are probably some of the prettiest flowers that you'll ever run across. I tried to find a good picture for the church page, and I, I couldn't find a really good picture. I thought the one I posted was all right. Um, but I, I just want you to think about this beautiful red rose as we read this. If you're at your Bibles open, stand with me just a moment. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Let's pray. Lord God, again this morning, we thank you so much for your creation. God, I thank you so much for having things that we can relate to, to help us better understand who you are, how you love us, what you've done for us, and what you're going to do for us. And I pray, God, this morning that as we look at this scripture, that we could see the significance behind this rose. But, Lord, I pray that we can see the significance behind the love that you have for your church. As the bride loves his bride, as the groom loves his bride, as you love this church, God, I pray that we could draw from that, love each other a little bit stronger, a little bit more, and God, I pray today that we would glorify you in all that's said and done. We want to lift up many objects of prayer this morning that's been mentioned. We pray for Judy and VJ individually, but we also pray for their neighbor and the loss of their son, and I pray, God, that you touch that family. For all the sickness that we know about, God, I pray that you would be with those doctors and nurses that are helping. God, for those that are grieving today, God, I pray that you would be with them and comfort them and love on them like no one else can. We thank you today. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. If I flinch or if I look like I'm in pain, I am. It just, all of a sudden this morning, I reached down in the drawer to get my razor, and my back popped, and it is killing me this morning. So I, I do hurt. It's probably a good thing Clayton's not here. I can't pick him up. Now, there's several reasons the Lord compares himself to the Rose of Sharon, and we're going to look at a lot of them this morning. Again, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful flower, one of the most beautiful flowers over there. But we need to look at, the first thing we're going to look at is its excellence. And his excellence has two things right there. Jesus, our bridegroom, he is, in my mind, the poster child or the definition of excellence. Now, we use that term a lot in maybe sports or in the workplace or whatever, but you cannot use the word excellence for Jesus in any other way than, than the way he's explaining right here. I can't even use I can't even think of words to use to describe his excellence. But this flower, there's a, a rose among the thorns. There's thorns there. I love that song, by the way. I wish we could sing that. I, I love that song. I'm actually trying to get Abby and Marina to learn how to sing that thing. I, I love it. This bridegroom, this Jesus, is excellence. He is the eternal son of an eternal father. Think about that. Eternal son of the eternal father. That is a picture of excellence right there. There is none greater. There will never be, there never has been anything greater than the Son of God, the living God, the true one God, loving God. There's been a ton of other little G gods out there, but there's never been a God 
like our God, the one that we serve. That is excellence at its utmost. You cannot get any higher than this. It's been said that, uh, and, and I read this the other day, and I thought this was really interesting. If you compile all of secular history together, if you take everything from what, I don't care how you want to say it, from the big, and I said secular, okay, so don't, y'all don't church me for saying this. If you take everything from the Big Bang Theory up until today, secular history, secular history, I'm going to keep repeating that. If you take all that and you put it together and you find that timeline and you find where Jesus was born and you put all the things in there that Jesus did, there's two chapters. If you wrote a book from the Big Bang till today and you put down, pin down every single thing that happened throughout history, there's two chapters on Jesus and that's it. But what you need to know about this right here is that almost everybody's heard about him. Even though it's only two little chapters, everybody in this world knows about either Jesus or our big G God. It's there. It may seem like a blip in history, but it made a big impact in this world. Everybody knows. Like the Rose of Sharon, the world doesn't see his excellence, though. Even though they know who he is, they don't recognize him for what he is. They might know of his name, but they don't understand his greatness. We might know because we sing a song or we see it written because of the way that people write out all the different names of God or names of Jesus. We might see the Rose of Sharon listed in there, but we don't know about the greatness of this rose. And we're going to talk more about it in, in a minute, but I just want you to understand that they look past the, the excellence of Jesus and they look into other gods. They bypass the goodness, the greatness, the love, the death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They look past all that to find them another God, a little G God. They've missed the excellence there. The book of Hebrews declares his excellence, and I want you to listen to this, as he is greater than all others. Hebrews 1.4 says, Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. There is none other for us, for anyone else then there's no name above this name. None. You won't find none. This is excellence at its best. This is excellence. Jesus. If you could define excellence, just put a word out there beside of it and just say Jesus because that is what it is. It's the greatest thing. I'm going to read that again. I love that. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. There is no name above this one. There's no, you can look at Gabriel and you can look at Michael and you can look at Lucifer. You got all these, these angels with names that we recognize. Yes, I said Lucifer. You got names of, of these angels in the Bible that we recognize. And even though one thought he was greater, what happened to him? He got kicked out and sent to hell. And then you got Gabriel and you got Michael and you got some of these other angels that, that are, are, in the, are mentioned in the Bible. Actually, only two of them mentioned besides Lucifer. But there's other angels, but none of them are greater than him. None of them. It is just Jesus. 
Now the second thing I want to look at is the color red. We got excellence. Now let's look at the color red. The Bible refers to Christ. They refer to Jesus as red more than any other color. You was probably thinking purple, wasn't you? That's what I thought. I thought purple would be a color used for Jesus more. We, we use purple because what is purple? Purple is royalty. Why do we have purple up here on the cross? That is royalty. But in the Bible, it's used, it uses red more than any other color to describe Jesus. And why in the world would you use the color red for Jesus? Hopefully, y'all figured it out by now. Blood. Blood. Sacrificial blood. The blood of Jesus has been shed for the sins of this world. John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist did. He announced Jesus' public ministry. He announced it to the world. And he said over here in John 129, he said, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, listen to this, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Behold, he said, there is a lamb. The Son of God is a lamb. But here's the thing about a lamb. Lambs were made to be sacrificed. This lamb was the Son of God. Even though he was the Son of God, he was still a lamb. And there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be one more sacrifice he had to be slain. Hebrews uh, 9.22 says, In almost all things that are by the law purged with blood, without shedding of blood is no remission. Without the Son of God, without the shedding of His blood, without this precious Lamb of God being slain, He tells us there would be no remission of sins. There would be no other way. We could not be forgiven. It had, there had to be bloodshed. So this rose that we're talking about is a beautiful color red. Scarlet, almost. It is gorgeous color red. And I want you to think about that bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Not just on the cross, but after his trial, during his persecution, as they whipped him, as they beat him, as they plucked his beard as they tortured this man chained to a stump in a courtyard, as they tortured him and that blood was shedding, I want you to look at that blood and compare that to the gorgeous, most gorgeous color red you'll ever see, and that's the Rose of Sharon. It sounds terrible to say that that was beautiful blood, but that beautiful blood was shed for us. That red blood from this... Lamb of God had to be slain, had to be, this sacrifice had to be made just for us. Church, if you don't see this as a, as a, this Lamb of God slain, if you don't see the Lamb of God is slain right now, the next time that you see the Lamb of God, you're going to see the Lamb of God is standing, and you're going to see him face to face. As a Christian, that's the way that we have to see that the blood, as that blood was slain blood it was sacrificial blood for each one of us i want you to remember that now the next thing what's the one thing we think about with flowers besides beauty what's the next thing we think about 
for flowers. They stink. No, fragrance. I'm not a flower person. They have a fragrance. They have an aroma to them. Jesus came to offer himself a sacrifice for all. Now listen to this. A sweet-smelling savor unto the Father. Now if you go back and you look in the Old Testament, anywhere in the Old Testament, whenever they were offering up sacrifices, they were burning their incense, they had their sacrifices going. This was for God. God could smell that. They were offering up these aromas to God. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Did, did you catch that right there? He said, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself up an offering. That goes back to the cross. At any point, he could have called 10,000 angels and been taken off the cross, but he didn't. He offered himself up as a sweet-smelling savor for the Lord. He offered himself that sacrifice for us. That's love. I don't care how you try to spin it. That is just love. That is the love that he had for each one of us. And over and up, I was trying to find some things to, to relate to this right here, and I found this really neat little fact. And it was over in Bulgaria. There's a valley of roses that is so fragrant that anyone who walks through that valley smells like those roses for days. Now, that has nothing to do with the Bible, but it has a lot to do with the Bible. It has nothing to do with Scripture, but it has everything to do with your walk with Jesus. If you walk through Bulgaria, I'm sure we all have that on our to-do list, is to go to Bulgaria and walk through some roses. If we walk through that field of roses, we're going to come out smelling like roses. Ain't that right? When we leave this church, we should leave this church smelling like roses. And what I mean by that is the fragrance, the aroma of Jesus Christ should be on us. We talk about the light and how we should be shining his light everywhere we go. But we also should be able to be recognized by that fragrance of Jesus. I know it might not make sense to some people, but it makes a lot of sense to me today. To have that aroma, that, that look about you, the, <laughs> the smell about you, <laughs> that would be pleasing to others. This fragrance in our lives should be a fragrance of love that Jesus has for each one of us. People should know that we live near Jesus and our lives should reek of that odor. That sounds terrible, don't it? But it's actually a good thing. We should be just like those flowers in Bulgaria that when we go by them, it just clings to us. When we live a life that is pleasing to God and we are as close to Jesus as we should be to Jesus, then that aroma, that fragrance, that odor sticks to us. And people can see it. They can sense it. Now, the next thing is they're planted by God. 
Believe it or not, they're planted by God. No man has ever planted the Rose of Sharon. They spread on their own. It's kind of like thistles. How many of y'all ever planted thistles? Nobody plants a thistle. But where are thistles? Everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. There's thistles. The Rose of Sharon. People don't just uproot those and plant them. They do their own thing. They spread on their own. The, the valley, the plain of, of Sharon or the valley of Sharon where these things grow. Man don't go out there like DOT does and throw out seeds around, the, you know how they do it right down the median and they just fling out some seeds and hope they grow. No, this is God. This is his handiwork right here. Man has nothing to do with the rose of Sharon. This is God's grace. Now you take that and you look at Jesus. He was born of no man. These flowers are born of no man. They spread on their own. God is spreading them, same as Jesus. Born of no man, just born of a virgin. He was fashioned in the form of sinful man, yet without sin. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He was taught by no man. And he spoke as no man. He didn't sit down in a Sunday school class growing up and learn everything that he knew. Yeah, he probably was in the synagogue. We know that. That's the way they did it. He was in the synagogue, and he was there because he had to be there. But he already knew it all. He knew everything, but he still went. No man taught him what he knew. Yet he spoke as no man ever spoke. Friday night I got an opportunity. Um, our finance director retired after 40 years. So I had to go down to Hendersonville Friday night for a, a, a party, a farewell party, retirement party, whatever. Mr. Wilcox was there, the, the, founding, the founder of Wilcox Travel. He's 91, 92 years old. Barely made it out of eighth grade. He's the only board member for Appalachian State University that did not have a college degree. Smart, smart man. He learned on his own. He learned the hard way. And I thought about him as I've been studying on this this week. I thought about Mr. Wilcox. He was trained by no man. And he spoke like no other and was able to get in. Now, I'm not comparing Mr. Wilcox to Jesus by no means. Please don't take it that way. He's a good man. He's a great man. I love him to death. Jesus did what he had to do here on earth. He, he minded his parents, and he went to school, and he'd done all the things that he had to do as a little Jewish boy. He did it all, but he didn't have to, but he did it anyway. He went to trial, and he went to the cross. He didn't have to, but he did it anyway. He did it anyway. God, with skin on it, Jesus, he did it anyway because of that love. Next part of the, the flowers, I thought this is pretty neat. They're often trampled by men. They're often trampled by men. If you go into that valley, 
and the way that valley is laid out, it's seen a lot of war, a lot of war. I mean, over all these decades, thousands of years, lots of war. You want water and security. That's two major things that you got to have in battle. You got to secure that. Well, when you look at the Carmel Mountain Range, you've got that. You've got the mountains, and you've got the valley, and you've got water that comes off of the Carmel Mountains because it snows there, believe it or not. And they, they had that was a good place to be. Yet in the middle of this valley was a battle, or were battles taking place, and these military people were stomping these flowers to death. They're trodden on them. The rows of Sharon have been trampled by man for years, yet the roses of Sharon keep on growing. It doesn't matter how much they mash them. It doesn't matter if they're rolling in on uh, horses and chariots or tanks or, or trucks or jeeps or whatever. If they do it by foot, it doesn't matter when they roll through that valley and they're mashing them down. You can't, you can't kill them off. They keep growing and growing and growing and spreading. It's amazing how that many have tried to stomp out the Lord Many people have tried to stomp out his word and how many people have tried to stomp out his people, but yet we just keep persevering. We just keep growing. We do. We see a world that's trying to smear us out, push us out, shut our mouths, shut our doors, shut our Bibles, but we just keep growing, and we will. Just like the Rose of Sharon, we're just going to keep on growing and going just like they're doing. The Lord truly is the Rose of Sharon, the last one. This is my favorite one right here. Of all the descriptions of the Rose of Sharon, this is my favorite. They're free. They're free. Go to the valley if you want to. Pluck all you want. They're free. Take them if you want them. Roses and lilies are meant to be plucked and enjoyed. That's, that, that scripture out there talks about the two, Rose of Sharon and Lily of the Valleys. That's why I asked Conley to sing that song a while ago. Roses and lilies are some of the most beautiful flowers, in my opinion, that there are. They're meant to be free, to be given, to be enjoyed. They are abundant. They're found in common places. Wherever you look, there they are. You won't find these roses growing, and I'm talking about these roses, growing on steep hills or rocky cliffs. They're in common areas. You see these roses just out and about, and you can just walk up and get one. Walk up and get what you want. They're, it's in open, common areas. Everywhere you go, there they are. Church, Jesus is easy to find too. Jesus is just as easy to find as the Rose of Sharon. Everywhere you look, there he is. Every time you bow your head and you pray, there he is. Every time you talk to him, there he is. He's always there, and he is free for the taking. He is free for you to talk to. You don't have to pitch him a nickel or a dime every time you have a prayer request. You don't have to pay for your prayers. He's free for the taking, and there's never a time that he will not listen. There's never a place that he can't hear your prayers. He will always be there, and he is always free. He will always be there to listen to you. 
the Lord, just like the Rose of Sharon, is yours for the taking. There is no keep out signs posted around him. When we pull in the parking lot here, the churches, there's no keep out signs. We don't want to keep anybody out. Don't, don't want to keep people out of God's house. It's not keep out, it's come in. Come as you are. Come meet Jesus. He's free for the taking. Or you can reject him. You don't have to take those roses. That's the thing about these roses. Somebody plucks them up to give them to somebody. They don't have to take them. But it's a nice gesture. Here's because I care for you. I love you. Here's some, here's some roses, men or women. Nobody's ever given me flowers. Mike don't get any ideas. I might take Mike's flowers. I don't know. He'd probably bring me stinkweed, wouldn't you? Probably. It's a nice gesture. Out of love, you give flowers. Out of love, he gave his life. Free for the taking. It's free for us to accept him. But we can reject him. I don't recommend it. Like the roses in that valley and all their beauty... Who wouldn't want Jesus? If somebody was to bring me a big old clump of uh, uh, Rose of Sharon right now, I'd take out and I'd be just tickled to death. They are so pretty. If somebody's to come to you and offer you Jesus and say he's yours for the taking, free of charge, he died, he sacrificed, he paid all your debts, he is yours for the taking, why would you turn that down? Why would you turn down such a beautiful gift? I hope you wouldn't. I hope you accept it and know that it was done, it was given to you, and the sacrifice was made out of love. Completely out of love. Stand with me. We're going to close out. If you can be here Wednesday, like I said, we're going to try to figure out who the enemy is and, and what we have to fight against, hopefully. We can figure that out. We know he's out there. We're having to fight him every day. Anybody have anything on their heart this evening as we close out? It's quiet. Clayton's not here. Keith, would you close us out, please? Amen. All right, we'll see you all Wednesday.